0: Chris Marquis is the Samuel C. Johnson Professor in Sustainable Global Enterprise and Professor of Management at the Cornell University Johnson College of Business. Prior to joining Cornell, he worked for 10 years at Harvard Business School and has held visiting positions at Harvard Kennedy School, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Peking University, Fudan University, and Shanghai Jiao Tong University. Chris received a PhD in Sociology and Business Administration from the University of Michigan, these research projects build on Chris's earlier research on how businesses can have a positive impact on society, in particular, how historical and geographical processes have shaped firms and entrepreneurs' social and environmental strategies and activities. I've become a big fan of his work and have gotten to interact with him several times. He is perhaps the foremost authority today on the intersection of corporate social responsibility and strategy. His latest book, Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism, focuses on the potential for stakeholder governance models to reform capitalism. Chris believes that businesses have a big role to play in a capitalist society. In this episode, he breaks down why corporations need to pursue both positive social impacts and profits, why we no longer get to choose. He introduces a fascinating concept called universal ownership theory that could explain why seemingly suddenly corporations are awakening to this need. And he lays out a practical first step you can take to help your company start embracing multiple stakeholder approaches. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Marquis. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm excited to get into this conversation with you.
1: Yeah, Kaihan, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to it.
0: Great. So just for us to get to know you a little bit personally, I'd like to open with this question. If you could complete the sentence for me. If you really know me, you know that. I guess it'd be that I'm
1: passionate about the potential for business as a force for good in the world. Businesses, business models are so essential to actually having social impact.
0: And we're going to talk about the role that that plays in shaping strategy. And your interests are quite broad, but a lot of it within strategy. So I asked this question of every participant, every guest, they all answer it differently. What is your definition of strategy?
1: I think it's about having a clearly articulated path or idea of how to achieve Achieve a vision. For instance, in my area on social impact, a lot of companies talk about stakeholder focus. They have this vision of being stakeholder focused. And I say, well, what's their strategy? What's the step to step of how to actually get
0: there? That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And what got you interested in strategy? I think that
1: one of the really big motivators actually was my students. So I taught for 10 years at Harvard Business School on social impact type of questions. And they said, this is all well and good. You know, companies doing well by doing good, so to speak. But how does it fit in to the larger narrative, larger purpose of the company? And this was what really sort of changed my mind that I need to think about this from a strategic perspective and how businesses can actually integrate into their
0: core mission. Hmm. So the question I was going to ask, I think you've just answered, which is, what are you most well known for?
1: I think it is within the strategy field, how businesses can be sustainable and be leaders in social innovation. And there's a lot of discussion nowadays about ESG, environmental social governance systems. My recent book is on this idea of a B Corp system, which is really a set of tools and processes for companies to become more stakeholder driven. Overall, what this is all about is actually accountability and transparency to this larger stakeholder objective. And I think that that's really the key, that unless companies are accountable and transparent, they can just end up greenwashing.
0: Got it. Now, I've learned a lot about B Corps from you and your work, but for other people who haven't yet had that chance, could you just describe what a B Corp is?
1: Sure. So a B Corp is a company that is certified for its social and environmental performance and impacts. So many companies that people know of from Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, Athleta, King Arthur Flower are these B Corps. The small number of B Corps, only about 4,000 in the world. And the book that I wrote is not necessarily about more companies to become B Corps, but about how the accountability and governance processes and tools that are created as part of becoming a B Corp can be used by all companies. So really, it's a theory of change and a model for all companies to become more stakeholder driven.
0: So why is it important or valuable for a company and a strategist within a company to be looking at this, where are the strategic rationales?
1: So I think there's a couple uh, things. I hate to mention the defensive one in some ways that sort of jumps to mind. I mean, this is something that consumers, investors, governments are all pressuring companies to actually focus on. So the SEC recently announced they were going to ramp up ESG reporting from companies. Investors, folks like Larry Fink, you know, largest investor in the world, are saying companies need to be more focused on ESG. And consumers, you know, millennials and others are really looking for companies where their products and services align with the individual's purpose and vision. And so for all these reasons, the companies that are going to win in the future are the ones that are really proactive and strategic about their ESG impacts.
0: I'm curious as to why now, so you've got these multiple forces, customers, regulators, investors, giving leaders a reason to really look at ESG and beyond the ESG. But why is that happening now?
1: Good question. I think it's sort of a culmination of many, many different things. I think that one is that if you think about big issues in the world, climate change, income inequality, Many people have come to think that actually companies both have had ways in which they've contributed to those issues, but also can be really important ways to solve them. So even before COVID, and COVID, I think, ramped this up considerably, the Business Roundtable, the trade group of 200 CEOs of largest companies in America, changed the statement of the purpose of the corporation to say companies should be stakeholder-driven. They should focus on their employees, their consumers, and I think that this is reflective of this idea that companies are these huge engines or potential engines of positive change in the world. And you see with climate change, so many companies are committing to net zero. This is where I think the strategist is so important because something like a net zero commitment is easy to say, but actually how to get there is a lot harder. And I think that's where strategy can play a really big role is actually in ways of transforming the company to Meet a bold and important objective like being net
0: zero. Mm-hmm. You gave some interesting examples of B Corps. you named a few of them here. When I first became familiar with B Corps, and I'm an advisor of a very small, one of the first B Corps, they're three employees, right? And I kind of thought of B Corps as these small companies. You've named a few that are very large. You've also mentioned in the past that there have been a number of IPOs of B Corps. So Could you just tell us a little bit about, if someone says, well, B Corp has got to be a socially driven, small entrepreneurial entity, can you kind of help us shatter that myth? Sure, <laughs> Hopefully I can shatter that myth.
1: So certainly there are some small, really important B Corps like this one that you mentioned that you're involved in, I'm sure is doing a lot of real social good. But this is something that as I've been studying this over now, close to 15 years, the extent to which it's been embraced by larger companies and large investors has really been tremendous. So, you know, a company like Danone, $30 billion, France-based nutrition, healthcare company has committed to becoming a B Corp. That would be the largest, you know, many other multi billion-dollar companies from steelmaker in Brazil to vegetable producer in France. This is something where a lot of large companies are seeing that, again, in some of them are not even actually becoming B Corps. They're just using the tools and processes. It's a way for them to become much more stakeholder-driven, sort of like a toolkit. But on the investor side, let me just mention a few things. This past year, I think, has really been, in some ways, the year of B Corps going public. So, for instance, the highest-performing IPO in the last year, Lemonade, an online insurer, is a B Corp. Coursera, online education company, $6 billion IPO also B corp many many others from vital farms which is a pasture raised egg company app harvest indoor farming there's been 10 to 15 of these really well known b corps that have gone public and so i think this is something where it shows that investors really see value in this and you know if you look into the future in some ways by looking into the past almost the last 5 years there's been i'm not sure the exact number billions of dollars have been invested in in B Corps by 150 of the largest VC and PE firms as you and your listeners know, VCPE firms, I mean, their model is an exit. So if you look at the, in some ways, pipeline of companies, some of these companies will sort of sell to larger companies, but a lot of them are going to IPO. And so all these companies I mentioned, I mean, these are VCPE funded companies and they get investments and five, six, seven years later, they're on the public markets or being sold. So I think this is something where in the next decade, there's going to be hundreds of
0: public B Corps. So in this journey, what have you you change your mind about with regard to B Corps?
1: I think one of the things is that there should be actually a business case for sustainability and social impact. I think that maybe when I got into this originally, I was a little bit more naive and I thought that, and companies do, I think, have a responsibility, but I think that I was thinking about it from a much more altruistic way, which I think is really limiting. I think that if companies can actually think outside the box, like Lemonade, there's scores of examples I have, there's ways to actually align business impact and social impact in a true win-win. And I don't think there's win-wins for everything necessarily, but I think that there's a lot of them out there, if businesses and leaders and entrepreneurs and strategists actually think about how can I create value, not just for myself, but for multiple stakeholders and create new business models.
0: And is there a framework or an approach or a set of leverage points or categories of things that a strategist can look at to start aligning the company behind multi-stakeholder benefit?
1: There's a number of, I guess they could be called tools. There's actually this one, the B Impact Assessment, which is used by B Lab for B Corps. It's called an assessment, but really it's, as many people have told me, it's a powerful alignment tool to benchmark and understand what competitors, what leading companies in the world are doing for their stakeholders. And there's hundreds of thousands of companies and many, many investors, many, many, many banks use this tool to help their clients or themselves become more stakeholder-driven.
0: And just to help us visualize that, what are some of the elements or questions in this B Corp assessment?
1: Sure thing. So it's divided into five different categories, employees, customers, communities, environment, and governance. And within each, there's scores of questions that vary depending on the company's size, geography, and industry. So for some companies, like manufacturing companies, there'd be a lot of questions about environmental impact. Whereas if you're like an investment banking or consulting firm, maybe there'd be less about that, maybe more about employee relations, employee benefits, gender composition of the workforce, other types of things like that. So these are the types of questions they're asking across those different dimensions. And again, it's actually tailored to the company's size and it's free and online.
0: Great. Where do you think it's going? It seems sort of like there is this evolution that we are in mid-step of. And if you fast forward, where would you see the future relationship of corporations and stakeholders in society? Is there a new form of organization emerging or will we have all chief impact officers? Where do you see it going?
1: I do see maybe something where there are chief impact officers throughout firms think back to the Business Roundtable. Actually, the World Economic Forum has also been very proactive in pushing stakeholder ideas to companies. Like I mentioned, Larry Fink and all these other investors. So I do think that there is really, from the very center, this is of the large company capitalist world, there are a lot of reasons why companies are focusing on this. This isn't just some sort of fringe Patagonians of the world, where Patagonia is great, but I mean, they're sort of a unique company. And so I do think that 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 the attention around these issues, given the SEC's interest in companies reporting on this, you know, climate change will be something that also helps accelerate this because, you know, with many, many companies committing to net zero, how are you going to get there? And so that drives a whole other set of questions within firms.
0: Got it. I've got a ton of questions. We're approaching the top of our time with you. Somebody just asked just a few more. What would you say the agenda should be for someone in a strategy role who finds your work, appreciates the importance, the ROI importance as well as the social importance? What can they do? What should they do first? Yeah, good question.
1: I think that they should see, does the company have a sustainability or CSR report? And if so, what does it cover? What does it say? I think that that is in some ways the company's baseline or benchmark. There's a lot of tools, you know, the Global Reporting Initiative that can help companies assess their benchmark. In some ways, you know, a classic strategy system is almost like a gap analysis type of thing. So you have your baseline, which is the CSR report. And then I think it's a question of the senior leaders of the company and the strategists working with the senior leaders of the company, maybe select focus groups with employees too, because they are the ones that are on the front lines and have key ideas to think about what is the vision for this company in the social impact space. Maybe some companies think, okay, our consumers, our products are really focused on the environment. They might sort of lean into there, or some companies might be deeply embedded in certain communities and think like, okay, okay, let's actually really focus our impact there. So I would say that's one set of items that folks can do is a gap analysis of where can we be and where are we now to figure out what the next steps are
0: that seems like the right first step to focus in that connection to the impact and the business. That makes a lot of sense. So just a couple more personal questions of all the strategic advice you've ever gotten. What has been most impactful for you or what do you wish you had heard earlier?
1: You know, it's funny. I mean, I'm an academic, so people might think that most of the things I do, and I do this a lot, you know, I'm Professor Cornell, so I'm teaching students. But actually, even more important part of being an academic is developing ideas ideas and getting your ideas out in the world. And when I was actually in the PhD studies, Tom Peters had his book on a brand called You. And it wasn't really towards academics. But as I look back, that actually is something that I should have investigated and thought a little bit more about. Because in some ways, that's what it is to be an academic. You're a brand called You. Probably would have helped me communicate my ideas a lot
0: better. Yeah, I've read that book as well. And it was also really impactful for me. So let me close by asking, what are you working on now and how can people connect with you? Sure,
1: so the next extension of this work on social impact businesses and B Corps is a project on externalities. Now that sounds like some sort of wonky type of word. And basically there are positive and negative impacts from companies' decisions that do not factor into the price that the company pays. So think negative externalities, things like pollution. You know, there's discussion that coal power Electricity, if it costs like $10 a ton, actually, with that, there's $8 of health damage, $8 of environmental damage. So, actually, it costs a total of $26, which is a lot because these $16 of externalities. So, I'm looking at how companies are creatively finding ways to address those externalities. So, the lemonade one is a good example where there's a sort of conflict of interest in the insurance system. You know, they're thinking like, okay, let's redesign this insurance process to actually align consumers. With the company.
0: It does seem as well that these externalities are increasingly becoming internalities because of the cost of the wildfires and the global warming or weirding is starting to hit the bottom lines of corporations.
1: Totally. And, you know, this is something, I mean, As an aside, you may decide to cut this, but I mean, one of the most interesting ideas I've seen in this space is something called universal ownership theory. And what this is, is that, yeah, so when there's fires, individual companies don't end up paying for that. But if you think about how our capital markets are organized, basically the US in particular is a large institution market where 80 80 plus percent of equities are owned by institutions. And so if you look at the portfolio of these large, you know, be it Calpers, be it T Rowe Price, be it BlackRock, whomever they are getting hit by those wildfires. So while individual companies may not have a price effect, actually investors have a price effect. So there's a lot of pressure on investors these days to really understand externalities because they're the ones who are taking the financial hit in some ways. I mean, PG&E can do a variety of, cutting a variety of corners to not actually end up paying for its externalities, but its investors, because they hold equity in insurance companies or other firms, they actually end up being affected by this. So I think the way that modern investment portfolios are constructed, there's going to be a lot more attention on externalities.
0: Fascinating. And those externalities then get pooled with these institutional investors who are looking across businesses, across sectors, and looking at how one impacts another. Fascinating. Well, I love your work, your blogs, your articles. Where can people go to connect with you, learn from you, and learn more?
1: Sure. So my web address is chrismarquis.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S dot com. And of course, can always email me at cmarquis at cornell.edu. I'm always happy to get emails and learn about new companies.
0: Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here and for the work that you do.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Kaihan. I really enjoy interacting with your folks.
0: Thank you. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.